0: Good evening, Hampton Roads. You are tuned in to the Family and Marriage Clinic with your host, Bishop Carl Hodges. We say good evening, Bishop. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and praise God from whom all blessings flow. Welcome to today's episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. To all of our listeners in the United States, I welcome you. And to all of our listeners in other countries, I'm honored to have you on board with us. Welcome everyone to Marriage and Family Clinic. In Southern Virginia, we're coming to you from WGPL 1350, WPCE 1400 on your AM dial, and WBXB 100.1 on your FM dial. You can also listen to the live stream at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. Now, if you would like to hear this or any other segment or broadcast that we do here on Marriage and Family Clinic, you can find the podcast by searching The C.D. Hodges on iTunes. That search The C.D. Hodges on iTunes or just click on that purple podcast player icon on your smart device. You'll find Marriage and Family Clinic there. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics, and we hope to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately help you repair, grow, and perfect your marriage and family relationships. Uh, Before we get going tonight, I've got two things to say that's pretty important. First of all, I want to say happy 245th birthday to the United States Marine Corps. Happy birthday, Marine Corps. I was so glad and so proud to serve in the United States Marine, greatest, fighting force uh, on the face of the earth. And I also want to thank God that the election is behind us. Well, not altogether behind us, but the hardest part is over. And we certainly hope that there will be no surprises uh, because it seems like the incumbent is still not totally convinced of the results, although everyone else in the world is. You know, it's time to look to the future. And that begins with Inauguration Day. And it's amazing how many countries around the world suffer from internal conflict that rises to the level of coups and civil wars and government, government overthrows and martial law, et cetera, et cetera, just total civil unrest. Yet the United States of America, one of the youngest countries in the world, has come up with this way of operating a government that allows the people, for the most part, allows the people to select their leader. And when a different leader is chosen or elected, there is this peaceful transfer of power. It's remarkable indeed. And, you know, all the events, the pomp, the circumstance, the celebration, the uh, uh, all of the goings-on of Inauguration Day, that's all about a peaceful transfer of power. You notice the incumbent, the president, who's done with his or her term, whether it's the first or second term uh the president who's done with their term they're escorted out the back door placed on the jet and flown home while the newly elected president takes his place as the leader of the free world he marches down the street their parties their parades etc etc all of that it's not just a celebration but more importantly it's about the peaceful transfer of power and no other nation in the world does that like the united states of america uh uh No matter what political side of the fence you're on, this is a feat that deserves recognition as noble indeed. So I want to encourage you to pray for our government, pray for our leaders, our incoming president-elect, our outgoing president. Uh, Let's pray for our leaders. The United States of America occupies the position of world leader. You know, the United States set the atmosphere around the world. And that lofty place was achieved in large part because of military might. It was also achieved in larger part due to economical might. But don't underestimate the heights we have risen to and the might we have gained uh, 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 because all of this is happening. All of this has been able to go on because the United States of America dares to be a nation of laws. And that's critical. And I hope you join me in saying that. And we ought to repeat that often. And everybody at every level ought to repeat that. We are a nation of laws. And I pray we never sacrifice that standing for anything less. We are a nation of laws. And everyone in the nation must be subject to law. Must be subject to law. Amen. Oh, I almost feel like preaching here. So let's all join together and pray for our president-elect again. Pray for our incoming president, uh, uh, uh president who's outgoing. Uh, let's just pray and keep our nation lifted in prayer. All right. Now, last week we started one of our mini-series on the subject of Teenage Dynamics. Teenage Dynamics. And last week we gave you an introduction to the teen world and that covered a good portion of the history of teenagers. Don't know if you've ever thought about that or not but there is a history to teenagers. So believe it or not there was actually a period in our national history when being a teenager did not mean, did not look like and did not act like what it looks like and sounds like and acts like today. There was a period in our history in this nation where teenagerism, I'm going to make up a word there, teenagerism, teenagerism was very, very extremely different. And so I want to continue on to talk about teen development in this episode. We talked about the history of teens last week. I want to continue to talk about teen development on on this episode. And, and don't forget, keep in mind, in the early part of the last century, being a teenager had more or less a defined script that was followed. A defined script. The child grew into a teen. The teen worked to support the family at home. The teen worked to support the family at home. The teen worked to support the family at home. No, I'm not a stuck record. I'm saying that for a purpose. You ought to raise your teen. By the time your child becomes a teenager, he or she ought to know how to work. Number one, to make concrete contributions to the maintenance of the home, and number two, it's a uh, uh, that work ethic is going to serve them well for the remainder of their life, whether they go to work for someone else or whether they become an entrepreneur, they need a work ethic. They need to be familiar with work. But this described, this defined script for the teen uh, included the teen working. And at the appropriate age, at the appropriate time, the teen would marry, they would have a family, and then they would raise their children, raise their family, and operate their home just the way that they had been raised. They raise their children up to love them and then put them to work, and they go through the same thing. And then came the Great Depression that took all the jobs from teens, gave them to men who were supporting family. And now we've got all these teens sitting at home uh, with not much to do, but they still need support. Uh, uh, my God, to have a grown teen at home with no job and not supporting the family, but still eating and having to be housed. They weren't children. They weren't adults, but they still needed to be supported. And they had a lot of time on their hands because they have no jobs and nothing to do. So now they're going to get put out of homes. They're going to act up. Many roam the streets. And when they got together and began interacting with each other, when they got together and began interacting with each other, now we see the development of a new subculture emerging and over time it would develop its own emotional and behavioral difficulties in the lives of the teenagers who were members of that subculture called teenagers and we're still figuring out believe it or not we're still figuring out what to do with teens and how to handle teenagers because they're not children they're not adults And we even had to come up with laws where you couldn't work them too hard, so we have child labor laws, uh, so forth and so on, but they're not children, they're not adults. Uh, They want to act like adults, they want to be treated like adults, so let me backtrack there, they don't act like adults. They want to make adult decisions. They want to be treated like adults, but they still want to hold on to their childhood. Now, I'm not putting teenagers down. I'm just saying this is a fact. This is the way that it goes. And mom and dad, if you have teenagers and those of you who have raised and gotten rid of your teenagers, your teenagers have moved out of the house, you can say amen to what I'm saying to you right now. We always say they're beginning to smell themselves. Uh, They want to have the latitude to make decisions that adults make, but they don't want the responsibility of being an adult. And that's what you get with teenagerism. All right. So this is a particular stage of life. And, you know, during the years I studied psychology, I worked on my bachelor's degree and a master's degree in psychology. One of my favorite areas of study was psychosocial development, psychosocial development. And one of my favorite authorities on the subject was Eric Erickson. And Erickson, through his studies, was able to take the entire span of life, he looked at the entire span of life from cradle to grave, and he broke that down into stages of development. And according to Erickson, a person develops certain skill sets during a specific stage of life. We have all of these stages, and you're developing certain skill sets at each of these stages. And the person, uh, you're developing these skill sets because the person is going to need to use these skill sets to manage his or her life and to develop a sense of resiliency and to develop a can-do mentality, a can-do attitude, a can-do sense. And all of us need that in order to deal with the challenges of life. Uh, If you've been living for any length of time, you know that life will present you all kinds of challenges. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much money you don't have, life is going to present challenges. Why do some people give up? Why do some people make it through? It's because of what you get at certain stages of life how well you pick up on these skill sets at certain stages of life. That determines how well you're going to handle your challenges in life because those challenges inevitably will come. Now, failure to learn these skill sets that go with a particular stage can impact a person's growth and development, and it ultimately will probably cause difficulties in adulthood. Let me say that again, in each stage of life, you're learning skill sets to help you adapt to manage and overcome and deal with, successfully deal with the challenges of life. You got to get those skill sets and that begins at birth and goes all the way through adulthood. And if you don't learn these skill sets at the proper time, man, it's going to be like changing the spots on the leopard, trying to learn them later. But if you fail to learn these skill sets that you're supposed to pick up at each stage of life, it very well may cause difficulties in adulthood. Watch this. Here's how we go. For example, the first stage begins in infancy infancy, and lasts until approximately two years of age. The child at this age learns to trust or they learn to mistrust. That lesson is learned based on how the child's relationship with their parents or primary caregiver develops. So the nature of the relationship, the dynamics of the relationship between the infant, the toddler, and their parent or their primary caregiver, the the nature of that relationship is how they learn that initial lesson. The manner in which the parents or primary caregivers interact with the infant, interact with the toddler, uh, uh, how they meet their needs and how they deal with the child's distresses helps that baby, helps that toddler to determine how they're going to develop their perspective on security and how secure they're going to feel in the world. So if a child cries and cries and cries and cries and nobody comes to rescue him, nobody comes to ease his distress, nobody comes to help him out, he's going to eventually, and I'm oversimplifying things, I'm moving really fast here, but that child's going to eventually grow and and learn that, man, I can't trust nobody, I got to do this on my own. But then if his caregiver, primary caregiver or his mom and dad, if they come to see about the child when he's in distress, he's crying, whether he's wet or hungry or whatever the case may be. If, the, if they answer his distress calls in time, it teaches the child that the world is a safe place and your needs will be met. And so a child is supposed to get that in infancy. You can't wait till you're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old and learn that the world is a secure place. You're way behind the eight ball, way behind the curve there. You're not going to get it. And you're definitely going to have some problems in adulthood. All right. So the manner in which the parents are, or caregivers form and work out their relationship with the child will determine whether or not the child sees themselves as safe and secure or unsafe and unsecure in other relationships. Well, Erickson said there's a specific stage for teens also. And just like that infant, that toddler has to learn how to handle, uh, 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 they have skills that they're supposed to pick up. They have a skill set that they're supposed to learn that helps them to adapt to and be victorious in their challenges in life. Uh, uh, man, let me, let me just back up for a moment. Can you imagine, can you imagine this, that an infant An infant up to the time to about two years old, they're learning a skill set that they're going to use for the rest of their life. They're developing a mindset that's going to either serve them well or provide them a disservice For the rest of their life, man. Maybe I'll get into the subject of attachment at some point because this is actually one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So maybe at some point we'll do a series on attachment. But at any rate, uh, 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 Erickson says there's a specific stage for teens. Also, we told you last week we're focusing on the ages of thirteen to nineteen when we talk about teens here. However, Erickson includes age twelve and labels ages twelve to eighteen as early adolescence. In this stage, the teen is dealing with physical growth, emotional development, socializing, romantic relationships. They're dealing with all of this stuff as they negotiate the period called puberty. And anybody who's had teens, you understand how shaky, how uh, volatile and how fragile a period that is, puberty. Puberty. I remember when I was discharged from the Marine Corps, I was a, uh, I was in a teacher preparation program, a teacher training program, I was going to teach school. Uh, as they include uh, uh, these courses, I, I was in a student teaching portion and I completed my student teaching in Department of Defense schools in Japan. I had middle schoolers which are ages 13 to 15 or so. These kids were just as Erickson described them, they were maturing physically. The boys had hair on their faces like older men. Their muscles were bulging, sprouting out, and the girls were growing where girls grow as they transition into womanhood. Can I say it that way? Uh, But emotionally speaking, they had all the physical characteristics of adults, but emotionally speaking, these young people were physically uh, uh, mature, but emotionally speaking, they were fragile. They were just as fragile. I saw them cry, lose their tempers, act out, try to save face, throw tantrums, and other behaviors that indicate emotional immaturity. And then there was the socializing. Oh my goodness, the socializing. How many of us can remember how teen years when it was all about the social scene? Uh, you got to look good before your friends or those we thought were our friends. And we, we want to be seen as acceptable. Those were the most important things in a teen's life. Being in the right group, the right crowd, the right click, all of these things, the, the social scene, this was most important in a teen's life. And, you know, TV shows and movies that portray this dynamic, uh, they portray this dynamic pretty well sometimes. Uh, when they show any movie or TV show dealing with teens, that take it to the high school or the middle school. And then you'll see there's the jocks. That's a group or a clique. There are the cheerleaders. That's a group or a clique. There are the nerds. That's a group or a clique. The goths. That's a group or a clique. And for those who don't fit in any of these, Well, they're just left to fend for themselves, and they're the ones who who may be subject to some really bad feelings during their teen years. Erickson says that the teen's primary struggle is identifying with a group, and that's why everybody wants to be in these groups. Because they're struggling with it. You know, the teen years, and I'm stressing to you that this is a real stage. Because now with all of this maturation, emotional maturation, physical maturation, all kinds of hormones are being released. And I don't mean to sound like a psychiatrist or psychologist tonight. I really want to make this simple. But all kinds of hormones are being released. And this really throws the teen for a loop. Things are going on inside the teen's head, inside the teen's heart, inside the teen's soul. Things are going on that are foreign to them. And they're trying to figure it out just like mom and dad is trying to figure it out. So Erickson says that the teen's primary struggle in this period is identifying with a group versus being alienated. So for the teen, one of the top priorities, just about the top priority, is that he or she belongs to some group. They want to identify what they got to belong to some group. And, and they deal with this, they deal with this by processing pre- peer pressure. Processing peer pressure is the method they use to negotiate this period. So peer pressure. Pressure from their peers pushes them left, pushes them right, pushes them forward, pushes them up, pushes them down, pushes them backwards. For some, paralyzes them, makes them run faster than they want, makes them run slower than they want. It makes them feel like they have to do things that they'd rather not do and they know they shouldn't do. And I think this is a good place right here to insert that this is also the period in which body image takes on a whole new meaning. There's the fight, especially in young girls. There's a fight to resist measuring up to social pressures to meet certain appearance standards. Nowadays, there is online shaming because of the way people look. Uh, uh, I personally think it's it's just pathetic. It's a cowardly shame to go online and mock people for their appearance or the way they look or the way they act or, or whether they gain weight or whether they lose weight. It's just a pathetic, cowardly shame that, that people would cyber bully other people. You know what? And another thing about teens is they can be some cruel people. And that's where all this mocking comes from. And so, what happens is, uh, uh, to many people, uh, too many people feel uh, uh, compelled to express their unsolicited opinions about other people on Facebook and social media platforms. The greater problem that this has is a greater effect on young people, especially young girls. These young girls may form poor health and eating disorders to try and make their appearance like that of the wafer-thin models they see in magazines and on TV. And this may be just me, this may be me in the minority, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out what is so attractive about a woman who is wafer-thin, who looks like uh, she hasn't eaten in two or three weeks, emaciated, But she's the talk of the town. She's on every magazine cover. And now we've got our little girls who are really pressed in this stage of life on their body appearance who are trying to look like these models on TV. I want to add also that this is the stage or the age in which teenagers engage in romantic relationships. God, I don't have time to talk about this. And because they're immature and lack experience, they often mistake strong feelings for love. Or you can get strong feelings, but it's not love. And what bothers me most is that some teens have boyfriend-girlfriend relationships that involve violence. It pains me when I see a teenage boy wanting to rule over and lord over a teenage girl and a teenage girl who continues to date a teenage boy who hits her. Something is truly off key when teens believe there is some place for violence in a relationship, whether they are the perpetrator or whether they are the victim. Something is truly off key. Something is wrong with our teens, folks. When they believe that there is a place for violence in a relationship. When a teenage girl, when a teenage girl would continue to date a teenage boy who hits her. Something is wrong with the way she sees herself. And remember I told you in each stage you're picking up a skill set that's going to be with you the rest of your life. Well, guess what? We can take that all the way back to her infancy and her toddler years where she was supposed to pick up that skill set about how you determine security, how you determine whether or not you're secure, and how you'd feel about your place in the world. She must have missed something way back there. And now she stands a good chance of missing something in her teen years also. And what I'm saying to you, for teens, all of this stuff, all of these dynamics I'm talking to you about, for the teen, it means real emotional and psychological challenges that they must negotiate in addition to all kinds of other challenges. Consequently, it's not uncommon to see teens develop depression or see a rise in other deviant behaviors, including rebellion, so forth and so on. You know what it's like. Now, I told you a few moments ago that we learn skill sets in each stage that we use to manage life, develop a sense of resiliency, and develop a can-do attitude, a can-do mentality. We want to develop a can-do sense to meet life's challenges. And if we fail to pick up the skill sets in a certain stage, it could mean problems later in adulthood. Well, during the teen years, everything that they go through the challenges, the deviant behavior, the rebellion, much of it is to learn the skill set of figuring out how to be faithful, committed, and true in their relationships. And that, and that has to be, that must be part of the reason why there's this strong draw to socializing during the teen years. Because that's what that stage is all about. We're trying to figure out how to work relationships out. We want to figure out how to be faithful and committed in relationships. We want to figure out relationship fidelity. How to be true in a relationship. What a relationship is all about. How do you keep your word in a relationship? How do you know a relationship is real? And so we develop, we feel this strong sense to belong to a group. And we're working out these relationships. So in the teen years, they've got to pick up this skill about relationships. And, and there's a particular problem that teens may develop later in life if they don't pick up this particular skill set. The problem is they may not learn to be connected in a relationship. Hmm. They may not learn to uh, 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 have appropriate Emotional connection, emotional uh, 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 involvement, emotional reciprocation. If they don't, if they don't pick up this skill set in the teen years of handling how to handle relationships, they can learn. They may not learn to be connected in relationship. Erickson Erickson calls this dissociation. In dissociation, Erickson describes teens uh, 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 teens develop in a mode of withdrawal from others. They don't experience bonding with others. Take, for example, the adolescent who doesn't fit in any group or clique. They've been rejected, even been bullied. Oh, my goodness. And I know good and well we're going to have to do a segment or two on bullying. Bullying is a whole nother subject altogether. But if this, if this teen hasn't had the benefit of friendships, hasn't had the benefit of belonging to some group or clique, yeah, there is benefit in group and clique, but if they haven't had that benefit, that they, you know, they've been put out, they've been talked about, they've been bullied, they've been rejected, uh, these young folks may develop tr- mistrust of others. They learn not to trust others. And they can actually grow averse to relationships. Instead of being drawn to relationships, they're going to be pushed from relationships because of those experiences and what those experiences taught them during their teen years. And not only would they be pushed away from relationships, but some can actually begin to resent other people who are in relationships. And that's kind of an adult thing, is it not? We don't like when people have something that we want and we can't have. (laughs) Hey, man. <laughs> now, listen, I'm not trying to paint a, 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 a pictures of teenagers going crazy, losing their minds, just breaking down and losing it, all that kind of stuff. I'm not trying to paint that kind of picture. And I'm not trying to scare anybody or sow seeds of doubt. The truth is teenagers develop on a continuum just like everybody else teenagers develop on a continuum. They develop, they grow, they learn to manipulate their environments somewhere to the left, somewhere to the right of center. Teenagerism, as I call it, teenagerism is not as simple as they just want to have their own way. That's a big part of it. Selfishness is a major part of being a teenager. But teenagerism, it's a real stage in life. I'm spending time on teens because I want to stress that this is, in fact, a real stage. And you can't fuss it away. You can't punish it away. And you sure enough can't scare it away. You have to take your time and walk through it with your teen. And so much of what goes on between you and your teen early in childhood impacts what happens in their teen years and beyond and beyond. Hey, look, I'm out of time today. So good to be with you. So glad that you've joined us. I hope we said something to encourage you. Let me know about it. Let me know about it. Email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. If you want to hear this again, you can find it on a on podcast. Just search iTunes, the C.D. Hodges podcast. You'll find us there. Hit me up on Facebook, inbox me, uh, Bishop Carl Hodges. I want to hear from you. I just want to talk to you about teens. So glad you joined us. If you got questions, let us know uh, or anything else. We'd be glad to speak with you. Hey, we got to get out of here. Until next week, God bless you. Remember, the only way to have peace is to surrender your life to the Prince of